Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. Remarkable community indeed. In this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight, we're talking to the Assistant Head of English, the EPQ Coordinator and Sixth Form Tutor. That's all one person. And that person's name is Alistair Harrison. Alistair is going to talk to us today about how he got into English, what he did after completing his time at Exeter University, what he finds most challenging at school in 2022, enrichment activities, literary walks and even meditation. But enough from me. Let's hear from our guest himself as we step into this podcast episode with Alistair Harrison. Alistair, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? Thank you for having me. It's an absolutely beautiful picture. Perfect day in uh, in Berkhamsted at the moment. Uh, there's lots of activity out on the quad and everybody is in great spirits, I think, as we head on through the, the final term. Yeah, we can be lulled into a full sense of security though, can't we? Times like this, when we have a beautiful day like this, we can easily think to ourselves, it's going to be beautiful now until September, but that's not necessarily the case though, is it? Absolutely. And also sort of um, for all the joy we might feel in the season, you've also got a whole line of students trotting into the exam hall in the same in the same quad. And actually for them, I guess it's not such sunny days at the moment. No, quite true. Alistair, tell me what it is that you do at school there. Sure. I'm the assistant head of English. I'm the EPQ coordinator and I'm a tutor in the sixth form house. Okay. And just for people listening, EPQ, tell us what that stands for. Sure. It's an extended project qualification and it's for sixth formers who perhaps want to do something beyond the curriculum, something of of a level of academic research or create um, some sort of artefact or something that they wish to explore that maybe goes beyond their A-level subjects. Okay, so what kind of examples could that be then? What sort of thing? Well, they could be writing on something that has has fascinated them. Um, It could be perhaps exploring more, I don't know, the life of Marie Antoinette, or it could be something to do with the Egyptians. There's always sort of a question that's been on their mind for years and years in education, or they might be um, producing something a CD or a sculpture or something that would just allow them to go beyond um, mark schemes, which I guess would would sort of pull them in if they were doing this in, a, in another qualification. It's really fascinating and um, it's, it's a lovely celebration of academic spirit and inquiry. So tell me then about uh, the the age groups that you teach at school, you know, both in your capacity as, you know, assistant head of English and the EPQ coordinator. Yeah, so the EPQ is just, is just for the SIP form, but I teach English from 11 years old to 18 years old. And it's actually a privilege to be able to teach all the different year groups. It's, they all bring their own sense of joy, I think, to, to the classroom. So what took you into English in the first place then? I think for me, it was the beauty of sitting in, in classrooms and at home reading, just being transported to other worlds. I think it's it's um, wonderful escapism and uh, it just just stretches the imagination. And I think for me, it's, it's endless, really, I guess, the, the voyage of reading. Tell me then, give us a little insight. The uh, What was the last good novel that you read? Just read The, the Mad Women's Ball, actually, which is um, set in Paris. It's turn of the century. And it's about a group of women who are in a psychiatric hospital in Paris. And the, the assumption from the outside is that they, you know, they must be absolutely raving mad and, and everyone's terrified of them, when actually the writer really explores the that actually perhaps madness isn't about that really. Madness is about other things. 
and a lady right at the beginning is taken into this this asylum and she is unfortunately um, taken by her father because she's able to communicate with spirits, mediumship. And so nothing to do with anything that perhaps would be work-related, but that's why I love just the, the fact that on a Sunday afternoon, after marking a pile of books, you can just drift away into these other worlds, really. But surely that's a great thing then, to be able to you know read things which are nothing to do with what you might be teaching the children, just to give yourself a bit of escapism from, from work, because everyone needs a bit of downtime, and um, but also to exercise your own mind, to be reading things that you wouldn't normally be reading with your with your students. Absolutely. And as, as much as I might come in on a Monday and say, look, you know, boys and girls, this is what I've been reading over the weekend. It is purely indulgent. And I guess that's 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 part of the job that I also love and that actually um, someone is paying me to talk about these great writers. And um, it is still ultimately a playground, I think, for me rather than a, than a profession. <laughs> I love that. Love that. So tell me then how you ended up at Berkhamstead. What were you doing before you worked at the school and when did you join the school? Sure. So I joined 10 years ago, September 2012, and that has flown extremely quickly. But before that, I was teaching down in uh, Somerset at a, a boarding school, Taunton School, which was a very idyllic West Country school with the Enid Blyton sort of grey Gothic turret towers and cricket out on the front and very bohemian sort of school. And we had no programmes of study or schemes of work. So you were really left, left your own devices to teach what you thought um, should be taught. And uh, it was very liberating. And, and lots of uh, international students in the sixth form, we taught the IB. So we'd have lots of European classes over there and and they were great fun so it was it was a very eye-opening start to the profession so tell me then why the move then from somerset to hertfordshire sure i mean i'm a local boy anyway so i grew up um went to school just down the road at ellsbury grammar school and for me i think probably one wonders in the you know, 20s whether too much time in the west country i was wondering whether it might soften me too much so i thought head up sort of this way to a faster pace of, of life but uh, the two really, I think, go hand in hand. And I think Berkhamstead is a sort of mini, mini West Country school. You can see the green rolling hills of Asheridge and the train going through and the, the, the you know, the, the narrow boats on the canal. And so it offers a little slice of that, I think, next to somewhere. And then you can take students into London and, and, and even for just my own pursuits, it's, it suddenly opens up a whole new arena. I'm often quite encouraged whenever people talk about the uh, the benefits of where they live in the UK, because I don't think as a population of people, we're very good at promoting the country that we live in. Unlike other people from around the world, they, they tend to rave about the, the place where they've come from. But we, sure. we tend to be fairly quick yes. to be quite dismissive of the UK. However, when people talk about where they live, they often talk about it in terms of, you know, how easy it is to get to green fields and canals, but also how easy it is to get into central London. But in your situation, I think that really is the case where you are, because it is a great location. It really is. Absolutely. And it's also reminding the students of that, actually, that they perhaps, you know, when they're coming in on their school coaches, they're probably heads down on their phones and, and not really being aware of, of the beautiful countryside they're passing. So often I will ask them questions or just check that they are they're following the seasons. You know, what did you see out in the fields today and things like that so that they are opening their eyes to this, this beautiful place around them really i think as you get older you probably appreciate it more don't you really and then between school and your first job at somerset where did you go to university that's right when i started i did my english degree at exeter university which um i guess my salad days really 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 happy memories of just i mean a beautiful campus and growing up in a very landlocked area the access to, to beaches and the coast and everyone was down at the weekend having picnics on the beach and i think that opened or started my love affair for, for the west country 
And then after that, um, then I went and did my master's at RADA in London, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. That was a very different environment. And I think that probably opened up a much more bohemian side of me, but incredibly disciplined classes and great fun. I think the two together probably have shaped me as a teacher. I think there's part of me that's got that liberal West Country, dreamy, pastoral sort of vision. And then the other part of me that is incredibly disciplined and that everything is, I guess, a little bit theatrical and, and a sense of performance about things, really. Tell me a little bit more about RADA then, because I, I think RADA is one of those places where a lot of people have heard of it, but they can't necessarily picture it because it's it's a little bit different to somewhere like Exeter, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, listen, I got in through the back door, so I was just doing a master's, but there are those who are doing the acting course have, you know, the competition to get into those courses is incredible. So I can't possibly pretend that I'm on a level with those. But we did lots of classes in directing and acting with those. And just just fascinating tutors, which in, in a way that I don't think I was ever sort of used to before, just great experts in terms of the creative arts, but absolutely terrifying, you know, and the things that you'd be asked to do for improvisation and those aspects. I don't think I um, really knew what I was letting myself mm-hmm. in for. That mm-hmm. said... It was um, it, it was was wonderful and collaborative, um, but but students weren't afraid to have great creative tensions and arguments, and um, I think probably coming from Exeter, which was a, a quieter, gentler, more peaceful environment. It, it was it's London, I suppose, and, and London Drama School is, is a different place altogether. But for me, it's where I found a very spiritual sense. I think in those drama, you know, in, in the Rada Studios, it's where I discovered through doing my dissertation the idea of, of the theatre being a sort of magical realm, really, a, a sort of green world, which we, we study in, in a critical light. And actually thinking really from childhood age, you know, you go out in the garden, you dress up and you put plays on and, and maybe that doesn't really change as you get older. And, and to think that there are these, you know, that we've still got a great fascination with going to the theatre and, and storytelling. And I think that probably is what also guided me into the English teaching of just just being a storyteller. Okay, well, great to get your background on that. Let's take it back into the classroom then. Tell me one of the things you find challenging about teaching today in 2022. I mean, the, the profession has changed rapidly, even in, you know, in the time that I've been teaching. I guess the difference now is the pace is so fast. And we are running, school is running 24-7 now on, on screens, on computers. So gone are the days that you would leave school on a Friday, maybe take, take a pile of essays home. And, and that was enough. Now, suddenly, round the clock, there's emails coming in and there's students getting in touch with, with issues and things like that. So I think the challenge now is, is about balancing all those demands in, in a very quick, fast-paced uh, environment, but also still offering what you offered before mm-hmm. and, and not presenting the idea that we're just flustered and running around. So keeping calm, keeping present in a in a very, very fast-paced world. I mean, you, you're right, it is a fast-paced world. And quite often we hear that it's, you know, that our lives are too fast and that we, we're encouraged to slow down and find ways to look after ourselves. But then the next moment we're possibly watching a TED Talk, for example, on the merits of getting up at five o'clock in the morning every day. And you, you can get these conflicting pieces of advice and it can be quite tricky, I think, to balance all of that in a cocktail of what could otherwise be quite a dangerous life. Absolutely. I think we're in a time now where there's so much information coming in, isn't there, from everywhere. And it's just so fast, fast, fast. And we're all scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through screens and we're reacting and we're liking, and we're retweeting things and whatever. But actually just taking a moment to slow down. And for me, that's so important. I think I couldn't couldn't really value that enough, actually, of just sometimes being still. And, and that 
is something I definitely champion in my classroom. Actually, the classroom is a sanctuary of, of quiet thought. Um, and in a world where we are so reactive to posts and likes and those things I've been saying, things scrolling through, I suppose I want to make my students proactive. I want them to create things and do things rather than just um, just responding. Yeah, interesting. I heard somebody say recently that we're drowning in information but starving for wisdom. And I thought, oh, that's a clever way of putting it. Absolutely. It, t- it totally is. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's probably our role as teachers to to make sure we are stepping in there and, and you know, the, the phrase stage on a stage is so, um, I guess it's mocked really, you know, the idea of a teacher being there with all the expertise and performing in front of a class. Actually, I think, I think it's a rather wonderful aspiration that you should be sharing wisdom and quiet thought rather than just, as I say, screens rolling and, and information out there. Tell me one thing you love about teaching then. I guess, I guess there, there is a thrill of um, seeing students achieving something. But I think really it's an invitation for me, uh, as, as well as the mind, to open up the souls of students in front of us. And it's very possible for, for anyone to go through an education where it's just purely with the mind. And, and there is so much on metacognition, all those ideas, how the mind works. For me, my my great interest is actually in probably metaphysical learning. So probably more about actually how does a soul and heart work? Learning by heart, I think, is probably my uh, my motto. That that and probably a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down um, in class. But I, I think probably the the idea of um, making sure you are communicating soulfully, whether that's having read a poem that you're not flying straight into. To, to an exam question, but you're actually thinking what word, what line really, really struck a chord in your heart with that. And actually students are incredibly responsive to that if they are invited to be, to be soulful. And, and so that's a mission, I think a lifelong mission probably for, for me. And, and it's very giving back, you know, actually in a way to, for, mu- for as much as you do that, I'm indulged. Listen, you know, I've got a, a, a wonderful job of basically telling stories or with my, literary colleagues the Brontes and Hardy and, and Dickens you know who are your sort of coterie you're really going around like an old-fashioned sort of salesman aren't you and, and really trying to sell your, your wares <laughs> to to a, a new audience in the hope that they will go on and and love these things or at least spread the message to those that come after them that, that there is joy in all of this oh, I love that I love that talk to me about enrichment activities how do you go how do you involve yourself in these and which ones do you coordinate sure I mean in terms of the the English department, I guess we've got the more fanciful days, the National Poetry Day, where for someone like me, I like to, to play poetry doctor. So students and, and colleagues can um, choose from a list of various ailments, loneliness, stress, anxiety, and I will prescribe a poem for them and pop it in their pigeonhole or give it to those in class. World Book Day, um, celebrating that, you know, please send in photographs of your pet reading a book or creating literary recipes. So there's all the fanciful side. Then there's the other side, which which for me is running sixth form extension classes, the Oxbridge classes, and really enriching students on an intellectual academic level. And then beyond that, there's a creative writing. I run handwriting competitions just to keep that art still, you know, still very much um, at the heart of what we do in English, really. So, so a real range, I suppose, of, of things there, really. And literary walks. Tell me what these are and what they're all about as well. <laughs> Absolutely. For me, it's, it's always lovely when you're given, you know, when you're choosing to teach a text, um, for example, Wuthering Heights, and I don't think it can just work in the classroom. So knowing that we've got this beautiful area around us, it's always important for me to take the students up into the hills to try and recreate that idea of 
um, the moors and and there's a fascinating place just around the corner which really looks like Top Withens which was the inspiration for, for Bronte's novel and so sitting and reading a chapter up there or taking them down to the graveyard when sort of key moments of that I think I think all of that just really to open up the world around them and I think students love it and and you know, fingers crossed, they're the sort of things they remember much later in life. And also, I believe that you're known for starting your classes with meditations. Is this uh, a little bit woo-woo or is this a, is this a good approach and, and, a, and a good way to start classes? <laughs> fingers crossed it. it um, I, I guess the, the, the proof of putting is with students' responses to it. And if I ever thought that it wasn't going anywhere, then of course it would be something I'd stop. But you know, these, these students are coming from room to room to room. Sometimes you might be the eighth teacher they've seen that day. Naturally, in in a world where it's bells ringing and um, they're so measured by time, just to have two or three minutes as they come in, just to be in the present moment, and very often it will relate to to whatever's coming up in the lesson. It might be taking them on a literary walk, maybe in their mind, a bit of a sort of astral walking through a landscape that's going to become important, or getting them to think about a character's emotions. Um, but I do think if it grounds them and they start to see the classroom as that as that sanctuary then they've got to be in a better place than they probably were three or four minutes ago in a corridor. And, and, and it's as much for me as well. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's lovely just to have that moment of, of calm, really. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely part of, of my teaching, really. Do you think that more and more parents should be engaging in some kind of, well, either meditation or just taking, like you're, like you're talking about here, two or three minutes out just to slow down, quieten down and gather thoughts together? Absolutely. And I think we are in a world where there is so much talk going on, isn't there? But whether we are great at listening, and I think that's it, it's, it's about trusting your intuition. And so much that we, we could be taking on board from other things, but I think actually your intuition tells you everything. I think that if you come back to that, all your answers are in there. And I very much see, even teaching, I, I often say to the students, look, here I am with my fishing rod, and I'm just pulling those ideas out of you. You've got it all within you, without doubt, all those things are in there, but it's about just, um, I'm just simply here to, to help you get it out, really. And it reminds me of um, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie, where Miss Jean Brodie has a conversation with the, the rather waspish headmistress about what education actually is. And she talks about it being from, from the Latin, educo, you know, I, it's, it's a leading out of what's in the pupil's soul. And, and she, she criticises the, the headmistress, Miss Mackay, who she says your, your version of education is, is, is actually intrusion from, you know, in Trudeau to sort of thrust these ideas in their head, where actually I think probably what we're doing is saying to students, actually, you've got it all there, whether that be academic or even just socially, all the things you're worrying about, the answers are within. So um, I think I'll sit with my fishing rod for as long as possible, really. <laughs> I like that. Alistair, a regular question that we ask everyone who comes on this podcast. Tell me one thing you've changed your mind about in the last couple of years. In terms of teaching or, or wider life or? Uh, actually, anything at all. Anything. I guess, I guess I'm guess i a much quieter person now than, than in the past. I very much was a very sociable sort of character. And now I like the idea of, of quiet time and probably like the, the idea of retreating and having that time, I think, to listen to intuition and the soul and and those ideas and um, making time for it for me is, is more important. So I'm probably the first to jump to parties and things like that anymore, but actually just to 
just to slip away and, and have some quiet time, go for a nice walk down the canal and, and uh, all the answers are there, really. Do you think the lockdown sort of opened your eyes to that or at least encouraged it to a, to a small extent? I think probably I could use that as a, as a nice excuse in a way, but I think it was happening already. And I think sometimes, you know, profound moments happen in your life that, that change things, really. And I, I lost my father in 2018. And I think that probably in, in, in losing dad, who was a best friend, I think then you suddenly realise actually it's, it's the quiet, gentler moments, taking time to smell the roses is more important than, than probably flying out and about and being everywhere. So I think that, you know, it does shape me. And, and I'd be open with my students about that as well. And yeah, I, I think you carry a simpler life in your mind, really, rather than than trying to do everything really what a lovely response to a sad occasion of course i'm sorry to hear that yes in a way i mean he, he's probably a great great reason for me to be in teaching and then you feel a sense of joy through through what you do really um through through living a simpler life and i think anyone also that has been incredibly ill you know you get it with students from time to time is when you're closest to realization of what life is really about isn't it and actually you know i think it's probably why i've always enjoyed the company of, of older colleagues at school because they are closer to understanding really what life is about in a way rather than sort of young whippersnappers at school who are who are going places but, but perhaps uh, there's other lessons to learn aren't there really in life. And then as a last question bringing it back into school life what has been your remarkable moment at Berkhamsted? Well I guess the irony after what I've just said there was I was running the social committee at school uh, five six years ago and that was great fun it was it was an, a totally open remit and I thought, right, we're going to have Barkhamstead Crufts in the school. Um, so every staff member could bring their dogs in and do, do dog shows. Um, we had strictly common room dancing. So teachers were, were great at just pairing up with each other, all for fun. And we had the lovely Rosemary Ford, who used to present the, the Come Dancing as a school parent. She came in and helped judge it. And Toberfests and um, quizzes and, and parties. And it really was just such a... Uh, a lovely sociable time to be really so um so very happy memories of doing those sorts of things brilliant brilliant that's great to hear that really is alistair we do need to bring this to a close now but thank you for being here thanks for opening up your world to us and taking the time out today i really appreciate it thank you very much it's been it's been a real joy so that's it for this episode to find out more check out the school's website berkhamstead.com and our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.